Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Success Evangelism and A New Way of Being on the Life Lessons Podcast with me and my co-host for this mini-series, Alex. The theme of this episode is, you are not your thoughts, you are aware of your thoughts. This recognition may not sound that big, but its implications are huge. And in later episodes, we will dig into those implications, but we try to keep this episode as accessible as possible. And in this first half, Alex and I discuss the implications and just talk about it in broad terms whilst also touching on some examples from chapter one of Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself, my book. And the title of that first chapter is Thoughts Are Not Facts. The second half of this episode features five of my guests who illustrate what we discuss. So do hang about for those excerpts. They're really valuable. And in one case in particular, really show how deep this can go. But first, let's dive right in. Hello, welcome back. Simon here, and I'm here once again with the JP. The JP? The journalistic powerhouse. <laughs> let's not call me that. It's a nickname that has resonated with listeners, as you well know. Nicknames are nasty names. <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave the office gags to one side. So I'm back. I've been invited back. Very happy to be here. It's nice to have you here. We had some nice feedback after last week's episode, didn't we? I'm really pleased. I think um, for this year, I was trying to be like, right, just do things and don't care what people think, which is why I said I would do it. Mm-hmm. And what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And no, we got some lovely comments. So thank you to everyone who has been in touch. There was one that sticks in my mind about someone recognising one of the key messages from last week's chat, which is that we are enough mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And that's something that seems to have resonated, doesn't it? Mm. 
Yeah, and I'm not surprised because I think that when you point it out, it's quite it's quite a reassuring thing actually mm. to know yeah. we are enough. We don't need to be doing all this stuff to prove that we are. But that's last week's episode. We're moving on to it's a biggie this week, isn't it? We are talking about the fact that we are not our thoughts. We are aware of our thoughts, which is such a big and important recognition. So this is chapter one in the book. So just read the title. Chapter one is called Thoughts Aren't Facts. Okay. Can you just read the first paragraph? It's only very short. Thanks. Although I could probably manage it even <laughs> if it were longer, but I'll, I'll give it a stab. Right. Can you stop thinking whenever you want? Of course not. We are all inundated with thoughts all day, every day. They arise without any effort on our part. That's quite a big insight, isn't it? To recognise that our thoughts arise even if we don't do anything to make them arise. We can't stop our thoughts. So what are the implications of that for you? Well, I think that the first time you started talking to me about this was when we were dating, so quite a few years ago. And I thought, oh, what is he on about now? I think you were like doing all these things like bamboozling me, telling me to picture a carrot in my mind. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this guy talking about? But actually, when you get it, it's really important. We are not our thoughts. And when I first realised that you, you have some resistance to this, there is definitely resistance because we feel like we are in control of our thoughts. Mm. Actually, we are not. And I'm a big meditator. And through meditation, that is a tool through which we can really hone down in this like we are not our thoughts we observe our thoughts mm. but even so there's that defensiveness there we feel very protective of the fact that we think our thoughts but we don't our thoughts arise and we are then aware of them i think there's a real misconception around meditation that we meditate to get rid of our thoughts and that's just not the case you meditate to realize that you are observing your thoughts and to detach yourself from them and yet so many people are so identified with the voice in their head with their thoughts as well i think the fact that you cannot stop thinking whenever you want shows that you're not in control of your thoughts so it's like you always use the example that we can't stop our heart from beating and it's exactly the same we can't stop our heart from beating we can't stop our thoughts from arising yeah, yeah. and we run into trouble when we believe all our thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I think what you do really cleverly in this chapter, you use two people to illustrate that we are not what other people think about us and we are also not we think what we think about ourselves. You mentioned about our heart. I remember tweeting this out that if you ask someone, do you beat your heart? The obvious answer is no. But if you ask someone, do you think your thoughts kind of the obvious answer is is yes mm, and i think people feel quite defensive about that you know it's like well they're my thoughts who else's thoughts are they in a way that we don't feel defensive about our body doing its thing you know we're not doing anything to digest our food mm -hmm. you know all this sort of thing but when it comes to thinking we take ownership of it and it's difficult to let go of that yes and the truth of the matter is we don't know what thought we're going to have next the fact that we can't stop our thoughts, the fact that we don't know what thought we're going to have next illustrates that thoughts are just coming up, which is why this insight, we're not our thoughts, we're aware of our thoughts is so fundamental. This is when things really changed for me. So shall I tell this story and then you share perhaps one of yours? So 
I've talked about this before, but in my 20s, when I had really bad insomnia and I was desperate to escape the trap because what happened was I would go to bed at night already anxious and I'd be in bed and my thoughts would be saying things like, I'm not going to sleep tonight and tomorrow's going to be an absolute nightmare. And I reacted to those thoughts in one of two ways. One of them was to really engage with them and sort of get into a dialogue in my head. So I'm sort of identifying with the thought and fueling the thoughts with more thoughts. And then the other one would be thoughts would come up and I would try and bat them away. I try and resist them. And there's that old saying, what you resist persists. So I had two methods of dealing with my thoughts. I really identifying with them or trying to push them away and neither worked. It was just fueling the anxiety and the insomnia I had. And I went to see Dr. Guy Meadows, who now runs the sleep school. And he said, what was almost certainly the most important sentence anyone has ever said to me in my life, which was, it's important to differentiate between the thinking mind and the aware mind. Now, this honestly just slapped me about the face it was absolutely revelatory. I, I actually couldn't believe that I had missed there was this, as he called it, the aware mind. Look, we're all familiar with the thinking mind. The thinking mind is what conceptualises, it judges, it labels, it says, this is good, this is bad. I like this, I don't like that. It's the voice in our head. It's the voice in our head. Yeah. But the thing is, there is something that is aware of those thoughts. There is this background aware mind that you could say hears the thoughts yeah definitely it's about recognizing this aware mind that hears thoughts that is aware of thoughts but it's so easy to miss because it's so subtle a thought you can you can't miss it has a beginning and an end it has content so it's it's objective essentially whereas this aware mind that is aware of the thoughts is itself not a thing it's so easy to miss until your attention is drawn to it. And it's undeniable. Everything that we experience, we're aware of it. But if you try to pinpoint or pin down what it is that it's aware of our thoughts, it's hard to pin it down, isn't it? Mm. It's like the analogy of the sky and the weather. Mm. So the aware mind is the sky. It's mm -hmm. always there. It's unchanging. And the weather does its own thing you know it can be stormy it can be snowing it can be sunny it could be all these things arising within the sky but mm. the sky remains unchanged and completely unfazed by what the weather is doing exactly another analogy so we're sat in a room now is the space of a room the space of a room has no resistance to whatever happens to be in the room now to bring this to people most people identify with the content of their thoughts and not the background awareness that these thoughts arise and fall away in. Yeah, but I don't think people are taught to question this, which is not helpful. Well, you know, children should be taught this in school. I really think children should be taught meditation as a basis for this sort of thing. Because once you have this realisation, oh, I'm not my thoughts... Well, it's really liberating. Sometimes you can have a thought and you think, oh, my God, why have I thought that? I'm an mm. awful person. Mm. But actually, it's just popped up in your head. You've had nothing to do with it. You can just crack on. Like, don't worry about it. It's very liberating to realise that you are not your thoughts. Absolutely. Right. So let's just talk a little bit about the chapter specifically. Mm -hmm. So I've built this chapter around Will Carling, the former England rugby captain, and Sir John Kerwin, 
the all-black legend who was the best player in the world won the World Cup way back when. The reason I'm using these two people, Will Carling, because he was buffeted by what other people thought of him and it had a big impact on his life. And then Sir John Kerwin was almost destroyed by the thoughts that he had about himself. So the underlying key message, I would say, in this chapter is that we are not defined by other people's thoughts. That, to some degree, is quite obvious. But we're also not defined by our own thoughts, which can be hugely distorting and way, way wide of the mark. So shall I quickly tell the Will Carling story? Yep, go on, quickly. Okay, all right, keep, keep me on track. So Will Carling was the youngest ever English captain. From an English point of view, he was probably the first rugby celebrity. He was on Noel's house party. He, he was on Noel's house. Which was the litmus test of how famous you were back then, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was the biggest Saturday night show, apart from maybe Blind Date. Mm. Or Gladiators. Or Gladiators, and that's back. Yeah. yeah. So Noel's house party, I think it used to get like 17 million viewers every Saturday. Well, let's not get bogged down with Noel's old party. <laughs> let's get back to Will Carling. All right. Okay. So Will Carling, he was a big deal. Put it that way. So big that the, the luxuriously bouffanted Noel Edmonds had him on his Saturday night programme. Did he? Yeah. Not that. <laughs> anyway, so Will Carling, big deal. Went on Noel's house uh, Went on Noel's So he was perceived by England fans as this kind of comic book hero. Good looking, this endearing little dimple in his chin, outwardly confident. Mm -hmm. He had certainly sought to portray a sense of confidence, which totally makes sense because he was England captain. It would be a bit weird if he went out shy and retiring. Yeah. So English fans loved him for that. But my father, Scottish... So I get an insight into Celtic nations. Celtic nations saw that same, let's say, bravado and thought that he was the personification of English arrogance. So they didn't like him. Right. Which one's true? Well, neither. Absolutely. Now, where Carling's story becomes quite interesting, towards the end of his career. So he'd had a really successful career. And then just as he's about to retire, his private life started spilling out into the tabloids and the tabloids turned on him and he was due to have this testimonial. When you have a testimonial, you sell loads of tickets, but you get to keep the receipts. And at the time, like he had grown up during the amateur era of rugby. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of money around. So this was a huge amount of money potentially for him. But because the tabloid press turned on him, his image, the way he was perceived was completely changed. They cancelled his testimonial. And when I was doing the research for the book, I remember reading a headline. It was like, he's a pariah inside and outside the game. So, how, yeah, it's, it's sad. Like, yeah. how he was perceived, he went from comic book hero to, to villain. He got a flat in, I think it was Covent Garden, and he basically went into that flat in Covent Garden, drew the curtains... No one knew he lived there. He didn't give anyone his number, not even his family, and basically was like a hermit for a year. If he ever did go out, he felt everyone was staring at him and he was waiting for someone to come up and have a go at him. So it completely floored him. Yeah. But it actually has quite a sort of, let's say, a positive ending because he said it made him completely reassess what was important. And he came out with this really lovely line. He said something like, you know, I sometimes reflect back and think, you know, had that testimonial not been cancelled, perhaps I would have thought, oh, I am really special. Yeah. So the point of Carling's story is we are not defined by other people's thoughts for better or for worse. When they think that we're great, it's the same as when they think that we're awful. We are just not defined by it. No. And 
I talk a little bit about this in terms of talent in broadcasting. Ex-pros, ex-pundits get treated with deference and there's that sort of pecking order. But as humans, we have the ability for metacognition, which means to be aware of the thoughts that we're having. Just because a thought comes up going, oh my God, this is a special person. If you are aware of that thought, you don't have to take it seriously. Okay, they might have a talent or be able to do something special. That does not actually make them special. Yeah, tell that story about the monk that you've put in your book. Can you? Okay, hold Where on. is it? Find it um, it's illustrates what we're saying perfectly. So it's this parable told in Zen Buddhism that illustrates what you're trying to say here. So in it, a monk called Kazan is asked to officiate at the funeral of someone with high social status. Shortly before the ceremony was due to start, the monk noticed the palms of his hands were sweaty. He realised he was nervous at the prospect of meeting a dignitary. The next day, he told his pupils he was not yet ready to be a teacher because he hadn't yet set aside his preconceptions about social status. He hadn't fully seen through the illusion of conceptual identities. He couldn't yet fully recognise the innate sameness of all people. And so he resigned and became a pupil once more. It's a lovely story, isn't it? It sums up exactly what you're trying to say. Essentially, everybody is the same. It's easy to lose sight of that. Yeah. This is certainly something that, that I value highly is is not treating anyone differently. And right, I'm not casting any judgment on any job that anyone does, but just to give some examples. So let's say a famous sports person, high status, and then by societal standards, you might imagine someone like a waiter in a restaurant or someone who's serving you in a shop or a bus conductor, whoever it might be, in which case you're not going to have that same, oh my God, here's someone special. And as a result, often people will have a more transactional, often even less respectful interaction with this person. Or something that is very important to me is to treat, or at least try and treat everyone the same as far as possible. You're actually quite a good example of this. So obviously you you now do TV at Wimbledon mm -hmm. and you stand there on your balcony and I've been there and I've seen like people take photos with people who are on the balcony, like all excited and, you know, you'll be filming round, round the grounds and people will be taking photos, etc. But you started your career at Wimbledon before you were a broadcaster taking out the rubbish, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And you're the same person. So you've yeah, been there now broadcasting, but, but to begin with all those years ago, you were taking out the rubbish yeah. now you're the same person yeah. you haven't changed but the way that you're treated there has and changed. perceived yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and that's kind of the key point isn't it it's so easy to take that stuff seriously mm. the challenge i think all of us has is to not identify with the perceptions or, or the status we get and take that to be who we are yeah so john kerwin john kerwin okay john kerwin he won the world cup was the best player in the world. But what I didn't realise was when he was playing his career, he went through a major depressive episode. It came very close to taking his own life. He was tormented by his own thoughts. He thought he might go out and attack someone unprovoked. He had no intention to do so, but he just had this thought intrusive that he might do thoughts. Intrusive thoughts. Yeah. And he said he didn't like himself, so he would have self-critical thoughts. So outwardly, he was mega successful, good-looking guy, a hero in his country, renowned around the world. And so we judged from the outside. And yet inwardly, I remember him saying he felt like he was dead inside at one point. Mm. And he came out about his mental health 
many years later, he thought it was going to destroy his career, did exactly the opposite. He's been knighted for services to, to mental health. But the whole point with him is he felt defined by these thoughts about himself. But again, those thoughts were not reflective of reality. And there's something that I've heard a few times that I really like is, you know, when our thinking is at its most compelling, that's often when it's at its least trustworthiness. Mm. Because, yeah. you know, that's so true, isn't oh, it? It's like the 3am thing. You wake up at 3am, 4am and everything that actually by the time 9am rolls around is fine and manageable feels totally unmanageable mm. and it's the same content but if we don't choose our thoughts if thoughts are just arising and we just are aware of a thought like that then it doesn't actually matter what the content of the thought is if you have a bad thought a vengeful thought an angry thought that does not mean that you are a bad vengeful or angry person you know a thought is just a thought irrespective of, of the content and that's why it's so valuable to be able to have this recognition that we're not our thoughts. We are aware of our thoughts and then we can just let them pass by like the weather in the sky. Mm -hmm. It's like I think we said earlier, it's very liberating when you know that you haven't chosen your thoughts because, you know, if something pops into your head, that's perhaps something that you, you know, you wouldn't choose to think that you deem to be negative. Well, you haven't you haven't chosen it. So... Who cares? Mm. If you can recognise that a thought is just a thought and it doesn't then really matter what the content of it is, you don't have to expend a lot of energy trying to change thoughts. Because quite a common thing is I think people think, oh, if I have a quote unquote bad thought, I've got to change it to a positive thought. Now, I used to try and do this and it takes a lot of energy. Whereas if you're able to just be aware of the thought then it really doesn't matter what it's saying. You can just observe and let it go. I think that's the key thing. You don't have to buy into it. And I think that this is a key takeaway from meditation, to bring mm. it back to meditation. You know, you can observe that you're having a thought and then you can just let it go. Mm. You don't need to do anything with it. You don't need to act on it. You don't need to believe it you can just notice that it's there and sometimes I'll have thoughts and I'll be like oh my god like where did that come from what mm -hmm. what even is that and mm -hmm. then just let it go just talk quickly about because we do different types of meditation you and yeah. me so just just talk about yours so in 2019 I started a meditation practice kind of in earnest so I do Vedic meditation which is mantra based meditation I was having a really hard stressful anxiety inducing time at work in 2019 and I was like I, I have to do something about this what am I going to do and I turned to meditation and I've done it pretty religiously now for five years so prior to our baby being born she's eight months old now I was meditating for an hour a day I don't have an hour a day anymore. So I try to do 20 minutes when she has her morning nap. But it's something that's really, really important to me. And it's had a huge impact on my life. Mm. I mean, massive. Yeah. I feel like I'm a different person, actually, since I've been yeah. meditating. It certainly, certainly calmed you down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, hugely. Like, I don't have the same issues that I had before with stress and anxiety and things. And not to say that I don't have... Stress them at all yeah of yeah. course everyone has stress yeah. and anxiety but it's just such a good coping mechanism and such a good tool and I 
absolutely love it. I don't see it as a chore at all. I mm. genuinely look forward to my meditations every day. And I find it endlessly fascinating to see what thoughts do come up. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I have quite interesting meditations anyway. I get into altered states of consciousness and things like that in my meditations, yeah. which I know isn't how you experience your no. meditations. No. I think ultimately I'm, I'm a bit witchy. You are a bit witchy <laughs> in the best possible way. Yeah. So that's your type of meditation. So for me, if I, let's say, have a formal meditation practice, so I did the mindfulness-based stress reduction course back in 2018. It was, I think it was an eight-week course, and I had to do 45 minutes of focused, mindful meditation each day. And I took it very seriously. So it was like body scans and following my breath down in my belly. And that's my go-to because I'm someone who's quite thinky. I'm often quite in my head. So I just bring my attention down into my belly and follow the rise and fall of my breath. And then when my thoughts take me away, you sort of don't notice it for maybe a second, maybe a few minutes even. And then, ah, hang on, I'm thinking, let it go, come back to the feeling of the rise and fall of my belly. Another one actually I do is inner body, um, the inner energy body. So if you shut your eyes and just notice what your body feels like from the inside, it's like this cloud of energetic sensations. That's another one I do, particularly in bed. I absolutely love doing that. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll just take my attention into the inner energy field of the body and I find that sends me back to sleep really well. But then the other one for me, I think, is... So to go back to when I was introduced to the difference between the aware mind and the thinking mind. So what came with that was a diffusion technique. From there, I would then come into what sounds I could hear or what sensations I could feel to sort of root myself in the present. You can just do that any time of the day for good thought, bad thoughts. Anytime you have a thought and you notice it, you can go, I'm aware of the thought that. And it just becomes increasingly habitual and you become increasingly aware of the fact that you are aware of your thoughts you're not your thoughts yeah you just don't need to buy into them by creating that gap between you and the thought you don't get caught up in the whirlwind of believing everything that comes into your mind i think yeah you don't have to identify with your thoughts you don't have to resist your thoughts every time you do that you become the sky and the, the weather then is free to pass because yeah. there's no resistance yeah. and we've shared this or i've shared this with a few people to to good effect there was someone quite close to you who had trouble sleeping trouble sleeping yeah. told them this technique bang and it sorted them it didn't did. it yeah it's, it's it's really really helpful so for me now i would say having done this for a long time i don't use the diffusion technique so much i just drop out of identification with thoughts or sensations or perceptions or whatever into this aware mind which is hard to pinpoint down whenever the more you become aware of this aware mind which is i can't point to this aware mind it's not it, it's not a thing but it's undeniable we can all say that we are aware but the more that you become aware of this aware mind, the more it moves from the background of your experience to the foreground of the experience. So if we are not our thoughts, which we have now discussed, yeah. it does beg the question, then what are we? Which follows on from the aware mind. OK, I would say that we are whatever it is that is aware of every element of our experience. And that is the same in you as it is in me, as it is in everyone, no? It is. So let, let me get to that. So just quickly, we have everything we experience is either a thought, a sensation, my foot on the chair, 
a perception, so what you can see, hear, taste, smell, feel, and a feeling, like an emotion, sadness, whatever. That makes up the totality of our experience. But no thought remains in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. No feeling does, no perception does, no sensation does. But we have this sense of always being present. So what is it that gives us that sense of always being present? Well, again, to come back to it, we are aware of what we see. We're aware of what we hear. We're aware of our feelings. We're aware of our thoughts. So it is that awareness that is the one ever-present element of experience. It runs through every element of experience. And it's the one thing that is always there. So I would say awareness, this aware mind, is our fundamental identity. To go back to the the sky and the weather analogy, you know, we tend to think we are the weather, but you know, the sky in which the weather appears is always at peace. The sky never resists the weather. The sky has no problem with the weather, whether it's sunny, whether it's raining, whether it's lightning. Like the the sky is completely unperturbed by the weather. And the aware mind, awareness, is unperturbed by whatever happens within it. Mm. It's at peace. And so the more you notice this aware mind, and it becomes from the, the background to the foreground of experience, the peace becomes more and more part of, of your being. You become more peaceful, and that filters out into all areas of your life, I would say. And it's always accessible. I think of it like when you take off on a plane and you might be taking off in the middle of a storm or, you know, it might be raining or it's really cloudy, usually cloudy taking off in this country. And then, you know, you get to that bit where you rise above the clouds. It's like, oh, it's sunny up here. It's always it's always sunny up here. There is no weather. This is how everything is it's just down there that there's all this weather that we get caught up in and i think that's quite a good way of looking at it it's always accessible it is yeah which brings us then finally i would say to identity mm-hmm. right so most people if you ask them tell me about yourself they will talk about them to self in terms of, of the, in terms of their thoughts about their job so they'll say this is what i do this is the tribe I belong to. Maybe it's a religion. Maybe it's a political party. Maybe it's a football team. They'll talk about their beliefs. They'll maybe talk about their family. Maybe they'll talk about their history. And this is all valid. This Obviously, we need this to navigate the world. This is part of the human experience. But all of these kind of come and go. Like if we have a role or a job and we identify with it, like a sports person, that only lasts for a certain period of time. You know, you no sports person was always a sports person, will always remain a sports person. And so anything that comes and goes, as we said, can't be us. Mm-hmm. And so if we look at our eight-month-old daughter, she has no conceptual identity right now. If we would say, tell us about yourself, if she could talk, she would say, I am, that's mm-hmm. it. But as we get older and we start to identify with our thoughts, We build this conceptual identity of I'm this, I'm that. And when we build an identity like that, invariably we attach our self-worth to it. If you're able to recognise, no, there's this aware mind that is aware of thoughts, it's about shifting our identity, I would say, from the idea about who we are, the story of me, our conceptual identity, to this aware mind. And we can still function in the world. We can still 
do our roles, we can still be a good parent, we can still do our job well, but we just don't believe that that's who we are. Mm -hmm. I saw, um, I think it was a meme on Instagram or something, and it was a picture of a newborn baby. Mm. And it said something like, when we're born, we're given a name, a nationality, all these different things. And then we spend a lifetime defending these concepts, which actually were just put on us. Mm. That, That reminded me, actually, you know, if you think of football teams... Let me tell the story of Bob, the famous Bob oh, story. Bob, Bob yeah. story, right? So this is a this is a classic example of what we're talking about. I remember listening to a national radio station, a football phone in, and it was a few years ago when Chelsea won the Premier League, and this guy, we'll call him Bob, rang in, and the presenter said, "Oh, we've got Bob, the Chelsea fan, on the line now. Bob, welcome to the show." And the first thing they said to him. Bob, congratulations on winning the Premier League. And this guy replied without a hint of irony, thanks very much. Like genuinely took credit for the fact that a team that he supported, aka he identified with, he deserved some credit for that. (laughs) And I think that's, that's quite symbolic, isn't it? Is that we become so identified with what we identify with that we lose touch with this pure, innocent, just being that our daughter has that just is I am and we pay for that this I am this awareness is the same in you as is in me so on that level we are no better or no worse than anyone else which comes back to what we were talking about before about treating everyone equally our mate Kassan right Mm -hmm. this is where he was talking about it was once you're past concepts or prior to concepts prior to these thoughts that we've taken to be true about this person that person they're special they're not special they're good they're bad prior to that at the fundamental level we're all the same right so what do you think the key points just to summarize what do i think oh, very good very good yep. um key points so we are not our thoughts yep. we are aware of them we don't have to believe them we don't have to buy into them it doesn't matter what other people think of us or what we think of ourselves. We are all equal. Yeah. As humans, we are individual and unique. That's true. Look, we're not denying that. No. But on this other level, the aware mind level, we're all the same on that level. It's recognising both those levels, both our unique individuality, but also our innate sameness. But there is no aspect of our unique individuality that makes us better or worse than anybody else. No, yeah. Because too often we'll take the fact that someone can kick a ball well. They kick a football in a special way, therefore they are special, which is just absurd. And just finally, I think a good way into this is, as you said, meditation. Yeah but also using the diffusion technique, I'm aware of the thought that, and then you realise when you start doing that, you can't be your thoughts. You're aware of your thoughts. And the implications of that are really, really profound. And we can dig into that. Anyone who subscribes to my newsletter, I do some videos, some sort of meditations around this kind of thing, where we can really delve into this. But uh, yeah, just that recognition I'm aware of my thoughts. I'm not my thoughts. That's big and can really fundamentally be life changing, I would say. Mm. And I think if there's people listening who feel a little bit defensive about their thoughts and choosing them, just try that method that you've suggested that I'm having the thought that and just see what comes up for you after trying that for a while. Because as I said, I was resistant to this concept at first a few years ago. But when you get it, it's yeah, it feels like it's a very important realisation. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just to summarize before we get into this second half, really the key takeaway, as we've said, is we are not our thoughts. We are aware of our thoughts, which begs the question, what are we then at a fundamental level? Well, we're the peaceful background aware presence in which all thoughts appear. And the more we become aware of that aware presence, the more it rises or comes from the background of experience to the foreground of experience. And it brings its peace with it. More on that in future episodes. But first, here are clips from the likes of Will Carling, Sir John Kerwin, Dame Catherine Granger, Dr. Russ Harris and Professor Donald Hoffman. And Donald in particular illustrates how deep this recognition can go. Enjoy. You went through a rough period, golden boy to suddenly down there, people tutting and all this kind of jazz. Your business had taken a bit of a hit and your testimonial was cancelled, which cost yep. you an absolute shed load of cash. What was it like going through that? Uh, it was horrible, um, but self-inflicted. I, I mean, I think that's... Uh, I was talking to some people the other day about, you know, rug rugby had been my focus since I was, it was seven. It, it consumed me. And therefore it suddenly goes and it, it's bizarre how you just, you're, you're rudderless, you, and yeah, I had probably three years of, of, of just chaos, which a lot of it, you know, self-inflicted. You're not intentionally trying to get things wrong. You just get lots of things wrong. Um, you make bad decisions. But it's a horrible. I, I remember I rented a, a a flat in Covent Garden, which had underground parking, so people couldn't see or press couldn't see my car out on the road. And and I didn't open the blinds for a year. I lived there for a year. I didn't open the blinds once. Bloody hell! My parents didn't even have the number. They didn't know where I lived. Jeez. No one knew where I lived. Right, and um, that's quite weird. And you know, you basically got followed almost every day for a long, long period of your life. Um, and that is horrible. Yeah. Um, and I think there's there's different bits that, that people don't see in, in terms of the media um, or certain, and I think we all know certain parts of the media. I remember when Lisa and I got together um, and she was pregnant and we were, we were walking towards um, a, a court session and, and there were about four or five parents and they were trying to trip her up. And they were going, come on, Will, you're a man. What are you going to do? Jeez. And that's the bit where you look at them and you think, Jesus, one day... Um, <laughs> And then you re you just you know that, but I tell you, there's some there's some horrible parts to it. But you do, I, I think, being sensitive. Yeah, I, I I didn't I I I struggled with it. But then the positive is that I I had had smoke blown up my ass for 
10 years of, you know, you're this comic yeah. book hero and then you are absolutely flawed and you are rock bottom. And I tell you what, it makes you reassess your values and everything else and what's important. And it's a really good kick in the, you know, um, and you sort of think, I'd like to think you, you learn a lot. You're probably a far nicer person because of it. You wouldn't choose it, but I think it, um, you come out the other side and you think, actually, yeah, this is what I think is important. This is the way I think I should behave. And, um, yeah. So it was, a bit, it was a bit a blessing in disguise. Oh, hey, that, that's the way I I tend to look at it. Maybe that's the way I look at I look at life. But I think maybe if I had come out, you know, and had testament and everything else, you would have thought, Do you know what, I'm really I'm very special, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, which is not pleasant, you know. And I I, ne- I never genuinely thought I never thought that. But you just sometimes you you know you get flawed like that for a period, and actually you think, oh, hey, there's um, it's taught you a lot. Yeah, brought you back down to earth. Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. Like, and now, like Lisa's again was singing your praises. Like she's got yeah. your back, your wife. It's lovely, <laughs> lovely. Like, and and um, yeah, saying you know you're you're not that the, that big I am at all. I've, it, I've never been. I've never believed in that. You know, um, no, I'm not into bullshit, and I'm not into people who pretend. You know, never have been. And I think a lot of um, you know fame is 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 bullshit. Um, yeah. I loved playing for England. But you you have family and you just think it just pales into, yeah, it's just, you know, completely, it's a different world. Yeah, and home and family, clearly the most important thing to you. And um, you don't really have any memorabilia at home. So you're not one of these ex-pros who is still, it's all about being the ex-pro. You're not hanging on to your to that rugby part of you. Your kids didn't even know that you played rugby and you had to get an English an England shirt out of the uh, after the attic and he said, no, you never did, you're too fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I j- uh, just my, t- that was then, you know, and I think I, I prefer to live now than live in the past. You know, the past, you know, yeah, I, you know, that's what I did for, for, for a period in the past, whereas... I have far more joy and happiness and fun and laughter and childish, but he, you know, now. And I, and so I think I was very clear that I just, I wanted to be dad rather than, I think I'd met a few guys that I had played with or against um, and their kids and their kids sort of talked to me about what their dads did. And I, and you know, this is just me. I thought, I I want my kids just to think my dad is a is a fat child, you know, um, and uh, he just you know he's my dad, and I love him because he's my dad, um, yeah, yeah. and I want that relationship rather than lots of 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 kids going oh your dad you know X Y and Z. Yeah. So um, so with Jack, yeah, he it, it was just it was you know it was it was just a great story. He just he basically didn't believe it because he said you're too fat and you're my dad and. Uh, <laughs> Which was brilliant in terms of you know playing for England, but uh, I'm just not a believer in having it around. I don't I don't need it around. I know I know what happened, and um, and they don't need to have it around. I'm not stirring here, but what do you then think of the ex players who strut around like they're always in their kit, still ten, fifteen, twenty years after <clears> they played? Then I just, part of it is just a bit sad because it ends right, and there's so much there's so many good things in life to get on with and enjoy. Fam- family for me. Being being the main one, friendships, you know, you think, but there's so much other things. Whether you know whether that's you setting up business, whether you're going into charity, with there's so many good bits of people to meet in life that you just think, look, that that was great, but that's done. Yeah. I actually want to get on and enjoy these. And I think it's a bit sad when guys are just still stuck in. Do you know what I used to used to play? And you're thinking, 
wow, if you're not really, really not found anything else that you that you love that brings you satisfaction and stuff, then I you know, and I hope they do one day because I just think, yeah, it's great, but it it's it's for that period of time, and yeah. then there's lots more to do. It's interesting you talk about the '91 World Cup because I was on antidepressants. So when you talk about the 91 World Cup, I think about being on antidepressants. But it goes back a bit further. So, um, yeah, well, look, what what happened was I wanted to jump out of a window on the 10th floor of the Hilton Hotel in Buenos Aires. And, um, you know, I feel very fortunate that I'd never um, actually planned a suicide, but I'd had such a guts full of what was going on in my head I can always remember it. Um, you know, the window was open, the curtain was fluttering. Um, I just got through another anxiety attack. So my anxiety attacks were based around a thought that my mind would run with. Um, and I'd end up shaking because I had so much tension inside me. So when I was rooming with someone, I'd, I'd normally try and hide that under the sheets or go into the toilet and hide. I'd, um, so I just finished an anxiety attack and I had a guts fill and I, I wanted to run and jump out the window. And right then, my roommate um, said to me, JK, you've got a good heart. And um, I don't know why he said it. He doesn't know why we said it. He We talk about it to this day. Michael um, Jones, isn't it? His name's Michael Jones, yeah. He's uh, now Sir Michael Jones for all the work he does in the community. An amazing man. Um and those, you know, you've got a good heart, saved my life. I said that to myself. I wasn't sleeping at the time. So I said it to myself for the next sort of 36 hours till I got home. I, I played a test match the next day against Argentina and scored two tries. It was irrelevant. Um, and when I got home, I finally reached out and got help. I thought it was a weakness, not an illness. So I thought it was me, not good enough. I'm a fake. I mean, I had a whole lot of, and, and I talk about them as my sharks. I had a whole lot of sharks that I had to deal with that I hadn't dealt with. Um, and it was interesting because Doc said, okay, I'll send you to, to this person. And Dr. Louise Armstrong was amazing. I get in and I sit down and she says, rugby player, eh? And I said, yeah, I'm a rugby player. She said, uh, what would you do if you had a tight hamstring? And I went, well, I'd stop and stretch it. She said, oh, that's good. You stop and stretch and you get up and you keep running and it gets really, really tight. What would you do? And I said, well, I'd stop, I'd ice it and I'd go to the physio. She said, your brain's no different, you dick. <laughs> and, and that was like this, wow, I've got a hamstring in the head. <laughs> so once I started treating my mental health like my physical health, it's the day that I started to go on this, and I hate this word, but on this journey of, of wellness. And, and what I sort of talk about is surviving versus thriving. And, you know, I really feel that I'm thriving now, but back then I was just surviving. And so the, you know, the, the tips and the techniques and the stuff that I learned along the way um, has, has, you know, been some of the greatest things I've learned. And, and I feel this is a really funny thing to say because I don't wish it I don't wish what happened to me on anyone but it was the greatest thing that happened to me at the same time because yeah. it actually got me to understand me um, you know I have these tools and these techniques that keep me thriving every single day and um, 
And so I feel, in a funny sort of way, really fortunate. We led the race for about 1,800 metres of a 2,000 metre race and uh, to lose it in the final dying stages in front of those incredible crowds that, you know, were packed with lots of, I mean, the home Chinese fans, clearly the biggest numbers, but we had lots of people who'd flown out at huge expense and and were there to sort of hopefully to witness us winning. And, and so the devastation comes from personal, you've not delivered what you feel you should have and could have. You know, there's this horrible sense you're part of this phenomenal team of experts and advisors and support um, and also the, the sort of team GB that sits around you and you feel you've let them down and you feel you've let the coach down and then you feel you've let your friends and family down and and it takes on this massive weight and it doesn't, no one ever, ever has ever said to me that was you know, so disappointing, you know, I'm so disappointed you did that. Everyone tries to say but it's still a fantastic medal and it's still a great success but there is nothing that anyone could have said in those those following days, weeks or months, to be honest, that would have made it OK. It took a long time to sort of come to terms with that level of disappointment. So we've got, so you've got three silvers at this point. We can say we, Simon. I don't I think we know each <laughs> no, other I feel now. like it, it feels like a we. <laughs> we've got three silvers at this point. So 2000, 2004, 2008. A Shakespeare quote mm. that I'll definitely oh, mangle yes. popped in my head at Go that on, point, then. which is, you know, there's no good or bad. Ultimately, thinking makes it so. So you've got three... Hamlet, I believe. That's that's the doctor in you. That's doctor of an English teacher. You see, my mum would be checking this. <laughs> and I'm sure I got it slightly wrong, but the, but the, gist, <laughs> the gist is there. And it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? Three times in terms of... Same result. The same result. Yeah. The difference is you know, what's gone before. So the work you've put in. And you mentioned as well there the expectation mm. that was there. And largely that would have been put on... By yourself, as you said yeah, there, n- no one else is saying, yeah, what are you playing at? That was, that's all an internal monologue. Mm. I was taught this this diffusion technique of, of acknowledging the thought, so you're aware of the thought, and then adding a little prefix. And the best one for me has been, I am having the thought that I'm not going to sleep tonight. I am having the thought that I'm not going to be able to perform well tomorrow. And actually, I've adapted it slightly to now. I am aware of the thought that I'm not going to sleep tonight or whatever it may be. And you can use this in any situation. It's a form of mindfulness as well. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I'm a, That's probably my favorite diffusion technique. And I, I like it because uh, it's, it's just so simple. You know, a, a thought shows up, I'm a loser. And, you know, uh, our instinct is to kind of just respond to that as you say I either take it as true or treat it as a threat that I need to get rid of but if you add a little prefix you know I am noticing the thought that I'm a loser or here's my mind telling me I'm a loser or here's the loser story or aha the loser thought I know this one you know any of those kind of things it's just that kind of it helps you to step back and see this is a thought. This is a bunch of words popping up in my head. And we don't need to debate whether it's true or false or positive or negative. It's just acknowledging this is a thought. Once once I know that this is a bunch of words popping up, then I have a choice about what I do. It, you know, is this something that it's going to be useful for me to let guide my actions? Or is this something just to kind of let come and stay and go in its own good time while I focus on something more important? And thoughts are nothing more than words or images passing through our mind. 
Yeah, that's basically uh, a good a good layman's definition. They're, they're combinations of pictures and words that convey information. Uh, and uh, so fusion is the technical term in acts. So if you, if you think of two sheets of metal fused together, they're inseparable. They're kind of stuck. And so fusion with our thoughts means that uh, we're kind of stuck stuck in our thoughts they've got uh, in a state of fusion our thoughts seem like threats we need to get rid of or they seem like commands and rules that we have to obey uh, or they seem like something very very important that we have to give all our attention to or they seem like um, really good advice that we should follow or they just seem like the absolute truth um but in uh, when we learn how to diffuse from our thoughts to step back, our thoughts may or may not be true. They're certainly not threats that I have to fight with. They're certainly not rules that I have to obey. They may or may not be, uh, you know, good advice to follow. But once I can see their thoughts, it makes it easier for me to make that judgment call. Um, so it, it's very uh, and and as you say, it's mindfulness. But it's a very a lot of mindfulness is very heavily based around meditation. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people find meditation either very hard or very boring, um, or both. Uh, and so one of the things I like about it is it's got lots of little mindfulness techniques that are, are very easy. To, 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 to use, you know, uh, this particular one, I usually call it noticing and naming. You notice the thought and then you name it. Uh, here it is. I'm having it. I'm noticing it. I'm aware of. There it is again. Well, you spoke about having a bigger house, bigger car, but really that's all about self-aggrandizement. And you spoke about the ego, right? And it's all about, okay, this view of myself, the story of me. But as you said, stories, concepts, thoughts can never fully describe the one consciousness, the one being. And the same is true of us. So any story that we hold about us, I'm good, I'm bad, you know, I'm guilty, I'm innocent, I'm pure, I'm, you know, anything is inaccurate. A story is just that. It's, it's a, a fiction that can be useful in terms of communicating with other people, but Fundamentally, any story cannot be true. That's right. Any story is only just a projection of, of the, the deeper reality. And that's why I think many spiritual traditions, what they say is the, the essential move is to learn to let go of all thought, all thought, to sit, to have periods of, of absolute silence where you, you do not conceptualize yourself or anything else in any way. And, and when you do that, you do become in contact with this much deeper aliveness, to put it, you, you know, words, of course, fail, but yeah. you come into contact with a much deeper aliveness that transcends any concept. And you realize as, as wonderful and powerful as concepts are, and I love mathematics and I love concepts and, and I use them, um, when you let go of them entirely, don't hold on. And it's hard. I mean, we hold on for dear life, myself included. But when you really do let go, even briefly, you, you enter a different realm where you realize there's a, a level of intelligence in life that, that completely transcends anything that could be captured with any particular concepts. And, and, and yet then I grab, go back and grab my concepts like I'm grabbing a life preserver because I'm not, I'm, I'm afraid. And, and so that, that, uh, that 
learning to let go of the concepts, and, and then eventually realizing that the concepts aren't bad, it's attachment to the concepts. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. To realize concepts are useful tools. Mathematics is a useful tool as long as I'm not addicted to it, as long as I'm willing to step out to let go of them whenever I need to completely and then go back and use them as I need them, but, but to not be identified with them. That's yeah. not who I am. I'm this much, I'm, I'm this infinite intelligence. Um, even though my IQ might not be very yeah. high, yeah. I, that, that's, that's an, a limitation of my avatar. Yeah, right? of the human side of it, yeah. Of the, of the human side of the avatar. But fundamentally what I am is, is an infinite intelligence. But so is a bunny rabbit, uh, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Success Evangelism and a New Way of Being on the Life Lessons podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com or on social media. And a big thank you to everyone who's already been in touch. Every message was hugely appreciated. And do consider signing up to my newsletter via my website as I'm going to be releasing some videos this week in which I explore some ways of inquiring, some direct inquiry methods into our experience and into the aware presence that we've spoken about that can be really profound and change the way that you experience yourself, other people and the world. So as I said, sign up at my website. And in the meantime, just remember, thoughts aren't facts. You're not your thoughts. You're aware of your thoughts. And until next time, goodbye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 